So Money Episode 702, Catherine Lavery, co-founder of Best Self Co. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. Thanks for joining me here. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Raise your hand if you use a physical journal to track your goals or just to share how your day is going. And maybe you've been doing this since you were in fourth grade. I know you're out there. Journaling, I think, is a complete art. And our guest today, Catherine Lavery, has actually found a way to make this somewhat old school pastime new and fresh and relevant. In fact, she has built an eight-figure empire called Best Self Co., which sells paper journals and other types of organizational tools for productivity and focus. However, last year, 2017, Catherine says, was the hardest year of her life. And that's where our episode begins. The year included getting a divorce and being totally burnt out. So she comes to the show on the heels of a retreat in Thailand, I'm happy to say, where she unplugged from social media. She did a complete detox and walked away with some new perspectives on life and work. So she'll share that as well as the money principles she learned as a young girl growing up in Belfast and the hard life lesson she quickly learned as soon as she arrived in New York. Catherine is also a genius at Kickstarter, just FYI. If anyone listening wants to run a fundraising campaign and you want to master that space, she has some incredible advice. Here is the fabulous Catherine Lavery. Catherine Lavery, welcome to So Money. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, it's great to be here. And I understand you're coming to us uh, hopefully off a good high as you spent a, a nice bit of time in Thailand in solitude, reflecting, unplugging, fasting, all of that. Uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you feel? I feel great. I feel like reset. Whenever Before I left, I was just Last year was just full of like travel and work and I didn't take the time to unwind. Actually, I probably haven't unwind in like five years since I got into entrepreneurship. So I finally was like, okay, I'm not saying I'm taking a week off and staying at home. I'm going like full retreat, cleanse, you know, yoga, eat, pray, love style where I'm just like unplugging for the whole world and doing my own thing, which I'm, I'm actually setting an away message for my email, which is also something I'd never done before. So yeah, it was it was exactly what I needed, and I came back so refreshed and just with more headspace to be creative. Yes, which is important for you because you are in the creative space, and I want to talk all about Best Self Co. And before we get into the details of the genius that you've built there, um, tell us a little bit about what brought you to that tough year. You call 2017 your hardest year of your life. I know that you went through some personal challenges as well as professional upsets. But um, take us back to that and, and maybe share what you have learned since, you know, s- sort of, uh, th- I guess, disassociating from that and going away and 
the reflections that you had? I mean, what take us to the before and, and then to share a little bit of the after. So last year I got divorced. So, I mean, honestly, it was amicable. I mean, I don't, this is my first divorce and hopefully my last, but as far as I've seen from other people, it wasn't super dramatic or anything, but it's still like, just like sucks the life out of you. And you're trying to run a business and you're have this company called Best Self, yet you're going through a divorce. So there's this sort of, oh, I should have it figured out. I should be going through this stuff. So I know for a while, you know, before we like split, I definitely had this internal conflict with, oh, I should have it figured out. Why am I about to like go down this path that I don't know where I'm going? Um, and, I, you know, if you've been, if anyone's been through where you're in this relationship where it's like that, that comfort, and I love that Brené Brown quote. And actually, that was like a huge eye opener for me when she says, uh, choosing courage over comfort. So just choosing like what you don't know, um, because there's going to be something on the other side. So I think like between the personal conflict with the divorce and everything, I also was traveling a ton. I think I traveled like a third of the year last year. And that for me, it's just like starting, stopping all the time. So I didn't have that freedom to be creative. I didn't have... I was basically getting back and reacting to what whatever was going on and going away usually for like conferences and that's pretty, it was pretty much work travel, but I am like introverted by nature. So I need, even though I can go out and like socialize everything else, I need my alone time. And by the end of the year, I was just, my brain was just cooked. <laughs> and I just didn't want to like meet anyone new. And I felt like, well, if I meet anyone in this headspace, it's not going to be the greatest first impression. <laughs> so I, I booked a trip to Thailand. Um, I did like a proper retreat. So it was like an eight day cleanse. And, you know, I, I deleted Facebook and Twitter and news and, you know, anything that I thought was a negative impact. So I didn't want to hear anything about politi politics or I just was like, I'm so exhausted from this year between like everything on social media. I just want a complete break of everything. So I, I deleted everything off my phone. I kind of took a tech break, brought a bunch of fiction books away with me because I'd also only been reading business books for the past five years because God forbid I could just enjoy God a book you and read not learn for fun. Something. Yeah. I was like, how about I just read a book and not feel like I have to have an outcome. I could just enjoy it. So, um, yeah. And it was literally like the best gift I could have given myself. I was there over Christmas. So I, you know, I met people when I was out there. And a lot of people were burned out, you know, we were all just kind of in the same sort of headspace and we all kind of came out of it together. So it was really exactly what I needed. So I came back after that and I'm just feeling like more in charge. I don't think I was performing at my best last year and now I can see the difference and I think my team sees the difference in me. So I think if I had kept trying to push forward, it just would have continued to get worse. And I don't know how that would have affected like my future with trying to run the team, if they would have had lost faith in what I could do or whatever that looks like. But I think just taking the time off and realizing that, you know, I can't do everything uh, was, was a big help. And, and I know that my team appreciates it now that I'm back. And I think that, you know, hopefully we can remind ourselves that there is a lot of value in slowing the heck down, right? Yep. Stop and smell the roses, but really more like just give yourself the peace and quiet and the solitude. And, and, and that's allowed. You know, you should give yourself permission for that. You're not, you're not being lazy. You're not, 
behind. You're just, you're doing what you should do to give yourself the opportunity to be your best self. And speaking of best self, which is the company you run, it's interesting. You would never think that you were the person who was frazzled and spent and having a rough, uh, a rough, uh, time because the company, you know, on paper is doing very well. It's an eight-figure empire. You know, you've managed to, I think what's really fascinating here, Kat, is that you've, Catherine, Kat, we can call you Kat, right? Either one. Yeah. Is that you've turned what is very much this old school um, thing, the journal, right? Which hopefully Mm -hmm. is never going to be outdated, but you have kind of brought it to the future and made it something that people want to have again. I mean, for me, I, I write everything down now in my phone. I take pictures of things to remember what I need to do or, um, you know, it's just I feel like the pen to paper practice is is a lost art, is becoming mm-hmm. more and more of a lost art. So how did you decide that this is going to be what you want to focus on and want how to make it relevant again in twenty in the 21st century? Yeah, so I think for, for when we first came up with the idea, it was not supposed to be a product for like the masses. It was mine and my co-founder's idea for ourselves. We had um, a business each and then we were running a business together. So we were just trying to figure out how we can get the most done and move forward the most in our lives with some sort of framework. So we, at the very beginning, created for ourselves then we showed people like other entrepreneurs and they were interested as well. And we were seeing that people were trying to do more planning. And now we have all, there's so many apps now that like my phone was becoming like an app graveyard. You know, when you go on the app store, you're like, this is definitely the one I'm going to use. And then a week later or three days later, you're not even, you don't even know what it was you downloaded. So I feel like just getting something in the physical world that actually means more than just typing into an app and never looking at it again was the first step. And then teaching people how to set a goal and actually break it down and get there. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we could learn in school that we don't. And a lot of it's, you know, by success strategies of like daily habits of how to really set a goal and break it down. Because if you look at people's New Year's resolutions, which is essentially a goal, people will be like, oh, I want to lose weight in, in 2018. Meanwhile, if they lost like half a pound, then technically they would have hit their goal, but that's not really what they want. They're like, I want to lose, you know, 10 pounds so like, and look good in the summer. So I want to do it by June. And so we really teach people how to take something, make it measurable and then break it down so that they know what they have to do every day to get there. So it's not, it's more of like a journal that helps people get to where they want to go. So the journal is just the vehicle to get them there. And by us, like helping them see what exactly they want and how to strategize how to get there, uh, that's really why the journal's done so well. And what have been the results? What are you hearing from journalers? So we have a couple. So we have our core people. There's the health people that I think the most I've seen someone um, lose was like 30 pounds. We had a guy save $20,000 using the journal. We had someone write their first book. Um, So those are like a few of them. The $20,000 was interesting because I'd never thought of that as like something people, someone would go. But um, I mean, I guess for this podcast, that You never thought someone would want to save money? (laughs) I just... It's like the number one resolution every year. It it ties often with trying to lose weight, but it is often the number one lately. So, yeah, 
so that's a couple of the ideas that that have resonated. That's excellent. And I understand that one of one of your zones of genius is learning is knowing how to leverage social crowdfunding. So sites like uh, what are they called? Um, Kickstarter and Kickstarter and the and the sort. So can you give us for those of us who want to maybe start a campaign on Kickstarter and get as much people signing up or buying? Um, what are some things that people do wrong often that that you think that are easily correctable? So some people will set up a campaign and almost treat it like a charity where they they want people to fund their idea. So they kind of sell people on the idea, but they don't give people reason enough to buy. So it's like your mom was going to buy, but nobody else cares about your dream or your goal. What you need to do is give people a reason to care. So we launched the self-journal on Kickstarter and we were very intentional with what the rewards are. So if you're selling or you're, if you're wanting to make a physical product, and your videos like about the physical product, like nobody wants your t-shirt with your branding on it or a hat. They want whatever it is that you're selling. So trying to be specific with, okay, here's what the goal, here's what the idea is. And here is the reward system that makes sense in relation to this idea. So I just see so many people like complicating reward structures with like these t-shirts and stuff. I'm like, this is just a pain for you to fulfill and nobody actually really wants it. They just kind of take it because it's a reward. So really getting focused on your rewards, making sure that you have an email list or some sort of list to tell people about the project when it launches, because that first 48 hours on any crowdfunding campaign, especially Kickstarter is the biggest one. That first 48 hours is when Kickstarter starts to send you organic traffic if they know people like you. So for example, if you had a, we built our email list over the three months prior to Kickstarter to about 3,000 people because we were like, okay, if we can get, you know, 20% of these people, which I think is what we hit, we can get funded within a day. So we got funded to 15,000 in the first, actually, it wasn't a day, it was like 28 hours. But um, then Kickstarter sends its own organic traffic because it's, start showing you in the popular categories or like trending projects. And then there's a lot of people on these crowdfunding campaign or crowdfunding sites that actually just shop on Kickstarter and Indiegogo for cool ideas that they like. So it's not just the really? people. That you, yeah, I, I do that. I, I can't even go on Kickstarter anymore because I want to buy everything. And then hopefully it shows That's up. That's one way like to lose years. all your money fast. I mean, yeah, something will turn up two years. I'm like, oh yeah, this is from Kickstarter. But so yeah, many good I, things. But there's maybe 35% between the three campaigns I've done. And then I've also helped other people launch their campaigns. It's about a third of all of your pledges could be organic from um, Kickstarter or people just browsing the platform. Now, let's talk a little bit about your financial perspectives. It's kind of shifting gears, but you know, you do, you're very transparent with your business operations to some extent. You know, you talk a lot about the, the wins, the losses, the failures, the setbacks, uh, what went well. When, when it comes to talking about money on a scale of one to 10, what do you think you're 10 being the best? Like, I'm really good. I'm really easy. I love talking about money. What do you think is your, number? Um, I think my number is probably like a 6.5. Okay. (laughs) Why, what is, what are some of the, why, why 6.5? I think if if I'm with a P 
people that also talk about money, I'll be, I'm more open. But if you're, if I'm the only one opening up about money, it's a little like I kind of hold things closer to my chest. I think that's just like human nature. So some people just don't like talking about money and I'm not going to talk about money with them because I don't want to make them feel bad or I don't want to open up something that they don't want to talk about, whatever it is. Um, so it really is just dependent on who I'm talking to. Right. Because I mean, when I got your pitch, for example, it was, you know, something like, you know, entrepreneur goes from zero to eight figures, millions of dollars. The success of you as a businesswoman, as a business person is not a secret and that you kind of wear as a badge of honor, which you should. And I, I think we, um, should all be touting our own horns. But when it comes to like your personal finances, what would, how would you describe your relationship with money? Um, I, I would describe it as good. I feel like I used to come from more of a scarce mindset and now I am more, um, I, th- and if I think that at the time was because I didn't have a lot or I was, you know, like, it's not like I grew up poor or anything, but my, I felt like my mom was always worried about money. And so then I thought of it as a, you know, a finite resource. And so I would try to be more careful with it. Now that I have more of an abundant mindset, generally, I see I'm more open about it and more, I'm still like frugal. Like I don't like to just spend money to spend money, but I would consider myself more of like a frugal capitalist. So I, I much mm-hmm. prefer to just make more money than like start, stop drinking lattes or something like that. So, yes. um, I always, oh, I'm, I'm with you on that. To- I'm with you on that. It bothers me to try to think about ways to cut back if I have to, I'd rather spend the time exp- exploring ways to, to produce the money. And you grew up in Belfast, Ireland, Mm-hmm. And you short you shared a little story just now about you know your mom had a bit of a scarcity mindset and you think that may be where yours derived from initially. Can you share a story of growing up there and your childhood and how that like a specific story and how that may still today as an adult impact your money relationship or the way that you approach money? Um. So. I used to always want to find a way to make money when I was younger. So I, I grew up with two brothers, one's older, one's younger. I was like the middle. So once I bought a, uh, a rechargeable battery set, cause my brothers had like remote control cars and stuff and they were always running, running out of battery. So I was like, okay, I'm going to charge them money to, I'm going to give them the batteries, but then they have to pay me to recharge it. And that was, that worked until my parents were like, you, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> this is my electricity. So I kind of learned like, don't start a business on someone else's platform with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when I was about seven, I used to sell cupcakes on the playground and it was for, cha- it was for a charity. So I raised more money than anyone else in the school. Cause I, I would literally be talk to the people that were buying them and they were like specific ones that people like, and then I would go home and my mom helped me make them. So, she, so I'm like, okay, we need this many of this flavor and this many of this flavor. Cause I already have like orders. We were getting ready pre orders at a young age. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So Early I think, birds. um, yeah. And then, so that just kind of taught me about money. And my dad was very good at like teaching me about, you know, credit cards and debt and how to be careful with your money, but not, he's still careful with money, even though he has plenty. So, I wanted to be like somewhere in the middle. It's like I can be careful with money, but I don't, I want to really live life and not be always like 
I'll take a taxi instead of spending an hour on the subway. You know what I mean? It's, it's like these silly decisions that I see, not silly decisions. It's just a different priority. Whereas you could enjoy your life much better and not, you know, you can't bring it, bring it with you essentially. Oh, I can always justify a cab ride. <laughs> yeah. Even when I really shouldn't. I mean, I really, sometimes the subway is a lot faster, but I'll say, oh, well, I can be on my phone, but now you can be on your phone pretty much all the time on the subway. They have, um, they have Wi-Fi in most uh, stations, but what brought you to the United States and how old were you and what was the goal? Uh, so I used to be an architect. That's what I came over here to do uh, after I got my master's. I got an, a job offer. I moved out here. And actually, this is a good thing with money. So originally, so I'm moving to New York City. And originally, I was supposed to be getting paid 40000 a year. And then a month before I came out, my the bosses that I had, who I'd interned with, so they already knew who I was. And they really liked my work, which is why they gave me the job offer. But they were like, oh, we don't have a lot of work. But well, we still want you to come out, but we're going to have to give you a 25% pay cut. And so at that point, I'd already like figured out my, you know, I'd already gotten all my visa stuff and had my life set up. I'm like, this is trying to live on 30 a year in New York City, which in some parts of the country, that is like totally fine. But in the city, that's really tight. And so then I, I was like, okay, I'm going to move out here. They said they'll increase it, you know, closer to the, you know, once we have more work. Then I get here and a week before I started, they're like, actually, we can't have you start for like five weeks because we just don't have the stuff for you. So I'm in New York. I brought, I had like a thousand dollars of my own money, um, but it was really supposed to just do me until I started work. And then I was really dependent on that paycheck. And so I think at that point I was like, I just knew that I couldn't count on these people long-term because they were just going to leave me in the lurch. And I even called them the next day. I'm like trying to figure out when I could start. And, uh, and one of the boss was like, you know, I know you just graduated and people want to like travel when they graduate. So the least you could do that. And I'm like, I did just travel. <laughs> I traveled from Scotland to here to start a job. So, so at that point I started just doing what I could. I had some contacts, t- contacts from home. I started doing like graphic design and like whatever I could do to just be able to survive. Essentially, I wasn't going to tell my parents, I didn't even tell my parents that the job thing was in the lurch because I didn't want them to worry or like want me to come home or anything because I'm pretty stubborn. So I think that was the first part where I was like, okay, I have to like figure out my own thing in case this doesn't work out. Yeah. In, in retrospect, that was a great gift, right? It was a great early on life lesson. And as you're telling me the story, I'm thinking, oh, how typical, right? Of corporations to just not yeah. be considerate of of the efforts that you've made to uproot your entire life and also go through the hurdles of getting your visa and all that hoopla. My goodness, but I mean, I did New York City. I mean, there. it could have been worse. There's a lot of opportunity here for young people. Yeah, but the the, the part about the visa was it was tied to the company, so uh. I could only work for them at the time. I mean, so what the what I did was I ended up doing trying basically getting by for the first month then I did start work there and I worked there for about 18 months um total I but on the side I'd started uh a business like a design store online and so that ended up making enough money that I could quit the job 
There like you go. Yeah. So you- that was like <laughs> a big thing for me. And you know what it is? It reminds me, you know, that story about like throwing a fro- frog into the boiling water and it jumps right out. But if it's cold water and you just keep turning it up, it'll just die. I have no, is that, is that a, is that a thing? Is that- <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a, I'm like yeah. not really the best person to ask about those sort of stories. I I can't even get my idioms straight. Um, people who listen <laughs> to the show know that about me. But but okay, I I, I I'm with you. Just a mat. So I for me as an, when I was working like 80 hours a week for like not good pay or any um, any uh, benefits at all, I felt like I was that frog thrown in this boiling water that I was like, oh, this sucks. I have to get out of here. But I have so many friends that were like just comfortable enough that they, they're still in it, but they hate it, but they're still not quite uncomfortable enough to leave. And so I'm really glad that I was just kind of forced to make a decision early on. Isn't that so true? I hear often about entrepreneurs that are like, I had no other choice but yeah. to find a way to make my own money. And thankfully, I learned those skills when I did because it's it's you know it's ten years later and I'm still making my own money. I am my own boss. What would you say was your so money moment in the last in the last few years? I mean, you've had obviously a very successful run, um, but maybe not always. And we'll talk about maybe a failure that you could share. But what what would you say is your so money moment to date? Um, I think whenever. I easily, I was basically making twice my salary on my side, on my side business that, that I was only working on a few hours a week. And that was like, Oh, I could, I was still scared, but I was like, I can quit now. I can still be okay for the next two years. Uh, yeah, that's always, and then you have the runway to leave, you know, you have that savings, hopefully. Is that kind of what gave you the confidence to quit? Yeah, which is kind of insane because it's like you're already making more money and you're spending so little time on it. But it's just this thing in my head of you need like that the, health insurance or the four hundred one k or have, whatever. I didn't have any of that anyway, so it literally was just like. Yeah, so what the, were you doing sitting there at a desk? I don't know, but my parent, my parents are very like conventional people. So me being on the other side of the world and like quitting my job to do my own thing is just kind of a different. Like I, I, I didn't need their approval, but it did take me. I'm like, I think I'm gonna quit my job, and I, at this point, I already knew that I was gonna quit, and I had a day in mind. But I wanted them to get used to the fact that I, I mean, that I was that was gonna happen. Maybe we need to stop calling it quitting your job, right? Because that's what it, it sounds like. You're quitting. You're giving up. But really, what you're doing is you're you're opening your life up to all these other awesome, amazing opportunities and possibilities. Um, you know, I'm leaving my current job to you know, make a better I'm transitioning to a I'm better Transitioning. Place. Yeah, you could say that. All right. So what would you say was the biggest like m- money lesson that you learned, a hard lesson learned? Um, probably uh, last end of the year before last we made a big decision marketing wise and and spent a pretty decent chunk of change on a marketing promotion with this company that basically did not deliver even I don't know like a hundredth of what they promised and so we were like oh my god that was like what I used to get paid in a year and it's just gone whoa 
So were there, did you, were you able to recoup any of that money? Uh, no, because the results weren't guaranteed, you know, it was one of those things. So I think it would be, we weren't, we didn't do our research enough. And also we needed, we should have talked to other people that had done a similar promotion to see how, what they felt about it. Hmm. Yeah. I, Barbara Corcoran, whom I've interviewed a few times, she says that, you know, in business, sometimes you just have to throw money at the wall and try different things and you'll be sorely disappointed at times, but other times you'll, you'll make a big, you'll cash in really well on something that you thought was going to be the least kind of pivotal thing that you invested yeah. in. But, um, you, you know, that's, I guess that's the big risk, right? Of yeah. running your own show. I mean, if it had to work, we would have been like, oh, we were, we're geniuses. You know what I mean? So, right. uh, but at the time it was like, oh my goodness, what, what are we doing? And that I felt like was the, when we entered sort of the bigger leagues, as far as money goes. Yeah. Well, Catherine, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. You already kind of hinted at the things that you won't give up on, like your lattes and your cab rides. And we'll sort of, we'll revisit some of that. And, and through these, I guess they're like Mad Libs. You just finish the sentence. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. If I, if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I would put half of it in safe investments so that I could balance my risk and then I could spend more investing in cool shit that might or might not happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a good balance, a good mix. Uh, the one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? A cleaner. Oh, Yep. What else? Yeah. A lot of people say cleaner. Is there something else? Um, uh, dog walker. Not yeah. every day, but on my call days, just having someone walk my dogs. That's something that I, I would have thought, oh, it's so lazy, but it's, it's a big it's help. needed, especially you're in New York. I know. Dogs got to get out of the apartment. When I splurge big money, I love to buy – Fancy drinks. Yeah. What's your what's your first drink? class travel cocktails? I, I, yeah, cocktails. Like I like when they get experimental with it. I love speakeasies. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've been to any in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, those can be a yeah. pricey. You can pay like eighteen dollars for a some sort of concoction. Yeah. Totally, but that's what I'll spend on. All right. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. That being rich doesn't have to be bad. You know, I've heard that now from a few people. There is this association with being with having money that necessarily you're going to be a kind of person that is greedy or unkind or selfish. And and you yeah. felt you felt that way at, at, as a kid. That was sort of your the lens that you looked at richness through. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. What do you think it is? Why? You think that's it was a cultural thing in, in, in where you grew up or that was just in your family? I don't know where it comes from. I've heard it from a maybe it was a cultural thing and also just well, the rich people I mean, a lot of people were probably pretty well off, but you don't the ones that you knew were rich were just kind of showing it off with like fast cars and mm-hmm. and everything that came along with that. And so I think it was just a false view of what being rich was. That's true. I mean, even today you look at the media and the way the media portrays wealth, Mm -hmm. TV shows, movies, a lot of times the, 
sort of like the evil person or the you know n- not the hero what's the opposite of that yeah. the, the antagonist no is the person with a lot of money or resources and is just not using it for any good last but not least i'm katherine lavery i'm so money because i'm so money because money doesn't control me thank you so much for coming on the show katherine i'm uh, i'm really glad we got to connect and especially now after you've detoxed yeah feeling good. We wish you all continued success in the new year and more cab rides in your future. Thank you. I'll definitely do that just because you said. Blame me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) To learn more about Catherine, her website is bestself.co and she blogs about her Lessons learned at littlemite.com. You can also follow Best Self on Instagram at Best Self Co., as well as on Twitter with the same handle. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com. If you want to download the transcript, listen to the audio, or leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, please do that. I would encourage you all to sign up. At the very least, send me your questions. But if you are a little more outgoing and you want to answer some of the listeners questions with me i would encourage you to let me know through that ask farnoosh portal thanks for tuning in everyone and i hope your day is so money money